The secret of doing more is mastering less. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Kibway Johnson. Kibway is an Olympic hammer thrower, a throws coach at the IMG Academy, and hosts the 40th podcast. I first found Kibway when I was a hammer thrower myself, and his untraditional approach to movement, coaching, and life is something that I've always loved, and I'm really excited to have him on this podcast. Today, we kind of focused on one thing, and that was solving movement riddles and just riddles in life with our athletes, how we can just be the, the guiding lights for our athletes and not actually giving them the plan and the cardboard box to stay in, but guiding a path for them and allowing them to solve the riddle that is movement, that is life. But it was interesting to get the mindset of a, a guy that's done it athletically himself and is now doing as a coach and kind of has the blend of the two worlds. I think it allows him to speak the language to his athletes a lot better than a coach that just has one aspect, just is the only the coach or the athlete that has only been the athlete. And he's kind of blending both languages. And as he mentioned, it's kind of creating his own language and his own way through this process. And it's very interesting to see. I hope you guys enjoy. Well, Coach, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure you to be here. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of like where you're from, how you kind of got into the world of hammer throwing and coaching? Well, um, I come from a track kind of centric family, but not throws at all. And my, so my grandparents have been to all but two Summer Olympic Games since 1976. So growing up and understanding and knowing like what track and field and the Olympics were, um, has kind of always been there for me. And I think I knew, or at least I had the desire to be, uh, an Olympian, but like, but I wanted to be a sprinter, right? That's what everybody sees or probably a decathlete too, maybe because those guys tend to be national heroes of sorts. Um, <clears throat> so I found, I started throwing basically by accident, you know, it's, this is, um, this is eighth grade. I'm living in Colorado. Um, I think I was going through a growth spurt or something. I had, I had a pretty gnarly hip pointer and couldn't run one day i had to kind of coach i was like well you're not just going to sit there and do nothing so i want you to walk the track with a 45 pound plate <laughs> and so you know and i start walking the track and i got this plate it's like oh my goodness like this is you know this is the worst i'm in eighth grade right and so i'm complaining and i think on like the second or third lap or whatever it was too long whatever it was i get to kind of the throwing area and there's there's some kids over there throwing and and i stopped to just kind of check it out um and the coach is like, hey, do you want to try them? I'm like, no, nah, no, I'm good. Like, you know, and, uh, and dude's like, no, come on, try it. And I'm like, all right. So I walk over and I, and I pick up the shot and then I just toss it. And it just so happens to go farther than the other few kids that are throwing it. He's like, do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I do it again. Yeah. And then we try some discus and like, you know, from there it's, you know, that, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So that's eighth grade. I didn't see a hammer. And so in eighth grade, I started shot for discus. And then I also continued sprinting too. But I, I, as I got older, I started doing less and less sprinting because I just couldn't be bothered, basically. Got to senior year. And the first time I saw a hammer was about a month before I graduated high school. Didn't really, to that point, know what it was. Tried it once. Hated it. Tried the weight. Hated it. <laughs> and then that was it. Then I went to college. I went to the University of Georgia. We kind of dabbled in the hammer maybe once or twice a month. Uh, some, because my scholarship was discus, but to prevent us from throwing discus, you know, every single day, like I did some hammer some days here and there, 
um, shot put wasn't happening. I basically got retired the very first day of practice because at the time I was still like 200, 206 pounds trying to throw a 16 pound shot from a glide at the time. I was just getting crushed. Uh, so that's kind of where hammer started was my freshman year of college. And did that, um, do you think that like having that discus background a little bit helped with the hammer, like making that transition almost like to where you weren't burnt out with the hammer a little bit of something new and something that you could enjoy doing? Uh, oh, like just like mindset wise or mindset and like moving. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought, I mean, it is, it is good to be able to kind of, uh, diversify like what you're doing. Um, right. Like it's good to have to either be an athlete or coach an athlete who does more than one of them. Um, so from that perspective, it's very good. Um, and I would encourage that physically speaking, I don't know, uh, you know, like transfer between shot and disc can be okay for me. Rotationally, I just didn't really get it at the time. I didn't understand then how the, the movement could, didn't feel the same outside of the fact that one's here, one's out here. Right. But I just couldn't make them match up, but like talking more about that. So I went through, this is when I was still throwing both. So I, I did my discus PR 65 meters, 11 centimeters, um, coaching myself essentially. So there is, there's a bit of regret there <laughs> that I didn't kind of continue that on, or I didn't continue that on with a, with a, a discus coach. Um, I think I, well, I know I could have thrown 70 meters because 65 like that is, is crazy. But the year before I stopped throwing discus and basically put all my focus into hammer, um, I had like three or four of some of the all-time great throwers tell me to pick one or the other. Really? And they were just like, you need, you need, you need to pick one. I was like, you know, but why, like, why can't I do both? Why? And if anyone can do both, why can't it be me? You know what I mean? Um, and, but their perspective was like, not because you shouldn't be doing both because essentially I think they saw the potential, at least I'm told that they didn't. And as I understood, it would be a waste to spread it among like two or three events. Mm -hmm. Um, which in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> but in the moment, it was kind of like, you know, the first one or two guys, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep going and like see what happens there. And then one or two more, it's like, yeah, I should probably, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'll, I'll choose one. And of course, I chose Hammer, even though Discus is the first love. That, that's what I'm wondering. What was that? Uh, how was that choice? And like, what made you like decide, oh, I'm going to pick up the Hammer now? Like, well, yeah. because so at that time, like, so my Discus PR was in 2005. And my last season throwing disc was 2000, I think it was 2000. No, it was 2006, I think. Either way. And so the decision was largely based on, at the time, Americans were fairly strong as a country, like within the country, it was, it was fairly strong in discus. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, then, and then it kind of went down again before coming back up again in the last few years, and these guys are killing it, which is amazing. Um, but in Hammer, it was at that time, it was myself and AG. And so when, you know, at that point, when you're, you're, you know, top two or three in an event in a country and you're, you know, one, two, three years off from the Olympics, it was like, Hammer is probably the way to get to where I want to go. And making those choices. So with the Hammer, um, I, I was a Hammer thrower as well in college. And it's something, it's kind of like a weird event that everybody like, they're like, oh, you're just spinning in a circle. Like what's going on? The journey with the Hammer. Can you, can, can you kind of talk about like the, the first time you picked it up to, when you started to figure it out and that process of, because the hammer is such a, such a weird, and you, you talk about it all the time, how it's almost like chaos and order all going on at once in this event. Like 
what was kind of the process of figuring that out for yourself? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was, haven't still haven't really figured it out, <laughs> but I, th- I think it's like, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm just open to it. Like my mind is open to doing those things. I, th- I think was hard about not only so, like I talked about when I first picked up the hammer, I hated it. I hated it because I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and certainly couldn't do it to the degree that, you know, I wanted to do it. You know, I'm a 200 foot high school discus star picking up a hammer and throw the thing, you know, not far whatsoever. Right. That's incredibly humbling at a time when, you know, a lot of boys and males aren't terribly humble, um, especially athletically. And, and honestly, not much changes in those younger years, especially as an athlete. I think that's what's most hard about hammers. It, it is hard but it's, it's really, it's really only that hard. It's easy to say, but it's really only hard. Like if you make it hard, right? Like it just, it depends on the athlete's perspective, whether or not they can get something out of it. I think, um, between expectations, um, the expectations really, really kind of hurt how the overall, uh, experience in the event and in the ring. And of course results as well, but like just trying to figure out how to do the thing and how to move that can really hurt things. Um, I think for me personally, I've, uh, I've learned more as I've thrown more and thrown and not necessarily thrown farther. I think, I think there's a misconception that just because you throw far or vice versa, um, that there is like this deep connection or understanding of the event. And that's not always the case, like at all, which is also why, and I'm finding kind of in, in hindsight, like I truly believe that how I talk about the hammer and, and the feelings that I say people can get into anyone can achieve anyone can feel it without a doubt but that's not to say that when it's felt the the ball is going to go 90 meters like you know what i mean i i can take a throw and and it be 80 meters and it'll the ball will look and probably feel relatively the same as someone who takes the same throw and throws 65. Mm -hmm. it's possible because and the and the determining factor of course i mean that's just that's just genetics and that's the part that we can't we can't close the gap. So those are like the, the, the two biggest determining factors is genetics, of course. Those are, that's that's the, the grail. But then there's also time, you know. So Yuri, world record holder, like when he first started throwing a hammer, when, when he first established the feeling that he had with the hammer, he didn't auto- automatically start throwing 86 meters. So like the time factor also comes into play where he can have that, but it's still going to take another few years of basically, you know, adaptability and like training and the transfer that goes between all of these things. Um, basically it's time (laughs) It's, it's getting rid of that ego. It's being patient. It's a lot of things that, um, more people should allow for. <laughs> well, I think in Amer- the American system, it's pretty tough too, because a lot of guys, and like the first time I was handed a hammer was my freshman year of college as well. So you have those four years to, it feels like there's very, it's a very short amount of time that you, you want to try and accelerate this thing. You want to try and get to the point without almost skipping the foundation of that feeling, skipping the foundation of what you're supposed to feel in that circle and how it's supposed to look and go. Right. And that's really hard. And that's, I mean, and that's like, it's a delicate conversation, but it's one of those things that like, you just kind of, you do what you got to do. Right. You know, people will talk about, well, you shouldn't be throwing like, well, like in college. Yeah, you probably should. (laughs) Because that's, that's the name of the game in college. Like you gotta, you gotta get points at conference. You gotta do this and you gotta do that. Well, to do that, you know, you gotta throw weight. Now, if you're out of college, is weight important? No. But then even within that conversation, if you are a top three or four in the US, well, that means you'll get money. So it kind of becomes important again. So like, it, it, it just becomes a decision. Either you want to do it or you don't. But like, it's not, it, it shouldn't be 
you shouldn't be ashamed or, or you know what I mean? Or ashamed for it's not black or white. Yeah. It's like, and, and that's, I ultimately with just about everything in the sport and how you train and how you throw, like nothing is black and white. It all works and it all doesn't. <laughs> and I'm, I'm interested in, uh, and I talk a lot about the, the high level coaches and high level performers that I interviewed, like what was the mindset piece to allow you to get to this point? Cause you talked about the first time you picked up the hammer, you're like, basically screw this. Like, I'm not good at this. Like how did you develop the, the mindset of I'm going to be patient enough with this and like, I'm going to wait. Was it a coach telling you like, this is kind of the path you need to take or how did you figure that out yourself? Uh, hmm, I don't know. I think um, there was always something intrinsic that, that I wanted to do the things and I knew that I wanted to be an Olympian. And so training and then, and then I, you know, I played football, but as the years went by football, my intention and desire to do that waned a bit. And then as I went, you know, Georgia and then more park and the national, the world starts expanding a little bit more, you know, like on, on our Georgia track team, just the throws itself, we were five, six, seven countries, you know what I mean? And, and having that uh, exposure, I think was really huge for what, you know, the game could be. Um, even at that time, Babbitt was like this essentially world renowned coach. He's going around and he's doing these clinics. And so like, again, having that experience and being around that kind of thing is really eye opening and just kind of seeing where it is. And I think as far as my mindset goes, there was me seeing it and shying away from it or stepping into it and being like, yeah, I can do that mm-hmm. or, or something to that effect. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely kind of gone on a little bit because I think as you continue to do it, you just naturally learn more, right? So at each stage of my hammer progression from Georgia to Ashland, sorry, from Georgia to Moore Park to Ashland and then to Dr. B, um, Dr. Bonnerchuk, like it's all different. And even with Dr. Bonnerchuk, it changed because Chris and I were there and we had our years and our seasons and then we had a kid. And so, and that also kind of changed how my mindset was um, in terms of training. And honestly, Hammer like took a serious hit, both result-wise and also just, also just like my mindset towards it, right? Like the old cliche of like your life changes and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, <laughs> and so I just, it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't care about it. It just didn't, it wasn't that important. So to fight through, to work, I should say, to work through that, I was absolutely better mindset wise as an athlete on the other side of that and all of those things. And then some, you know, to this still to this very day are all super helpful with how I think about the event and how I coach the event, how I experience the event. Yeah. I think that pretty much answers the question. Yeah. And this is, uh, again, just to talk to the listeners a little bit, like the ha- a hammer is the event where you basically go up by yourself or with a coach and, and you throw millions of reps just by yourself doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, working on these super, super fine and small details. Can you kind of talk about uh, like how that has helped you or how you're able to almost push through that and how that, you know, like the, the, the the monotony almost of it and not going crazy out there by yourself. And it's something that the throw, I think the throwers like you and I get, um, but somebody that hasn't been there and is, because for me, it's helped me a ton with my business, helped me a ton with stuff of like, all right, I've done that stuff before. I've done like the, the repetition, the repetition, the repetition and doing it by myself and finding almost like a meditation in the chaos through there. Can you kind of talk about how you were able to get through that and how that's helped you? Trial and error. <laughs> um, but definitely, definitely meditation. Yeah, man. Like during those, during, during those training sessions. So the difference, so for instance, you know, uh, with Judd, we would throw three, four times a week with Dr. B we would throw and lift 10 times a week. So that's twice a day. And that didn't, it almost never changed. So that's a lot more reps 
that's a lot more time spent with yourself <laughs> walking back and forth getting all these hammers uh i i which in itself is is meditation it's a walking meditation which you know years later you find out is a thing right so i think that was really beneficial in being the athlete like at the time and then also you know and then also now and it's kind of it's kind of a, a theory of mine like the ones that have stayed in it the longest you know what i mean like the, the hammer throwers that are you know 33 34 plus into the 40s i feel like they're all kind of very very similar <laughs> and and it's it's like it's that piece where you know it takes however long to get sentences out and everyone seems to talk about the event fairly similarly <laughs> and when i realized that i was kind of doing the same thing i uh, i didn't feel so bad about people not really understanding and some do and some don't and hopefully like what i would hope for is more people under uh, understand but again like they kind of will when they're ready is how i feel it <laughs> when when you're when you are at these this is something i'm uh, interested in is that, that almost like a the reset you have either between your throws or maybe it's in a practice when you were walking out to get your implement or maybe it's in the meet itself of that last throw wasn't very good. You, you messed up something on that last throw. How were you able to reset yourself or like, what was kind of your thought process now? And then, and like, how do you help your athletes with that to get them back into the moment and help them reset themselves? Uh, I don't have anything. So as far as my athletes go, I don't have anything really like concrete or, or standard or anything other than, yeah, trying to get them into the moment because the worst thing that anyone, let alone an athlete, can do for their performance is to worry about the past or, or the future. And that's really important because if you're in the present, then you're aware. And if you're aware, then you, and then as I talk about connection and feeling a hammer, the only way to do that is if you are aware and in the present. Otherwise, otherwise there's tension. And, and that tension goes physically and mentally. And you don't, you know what I mean? Anything that you can do to remove tension is, is, should be at the top of the list. So that means kind of thinking about that, but honestly, thinking isn't really the best thing either. There's a bit of a paradox there <laughs> and, and breathing, trying, trying different breathing exercises to kind of stay, uh, present. Um, me personally, earlier in my career, I probably came at it with a bit of a, more of a football attitude where I just, you know, you just got to get it done and, you know, just you know, buck up and be a man about it, like that kind of stuff. And then as I've gotten older and trained more and like learned what worked best for me, I guess, like it's, it's a lot more calm and chill. And, and even in those moments and, and like, and that's the best part. I like to reference uh, actually lately now, uh, like the very first Avengers movie. Right. And, and it's when like Hulk makes his grand interest in the New York scene. And he's like, the secret is, is I'm always angry. But like on the, on the, you know what I mean? And, and on the outside, yeah, you could be chill, but like no one's saying you have to be, uh, you know, like this, this little wimpy thing. No, you still need to have that fire, but it just needs to be kind of contained and, yep. and held in place. So, you know, the last few years, especially like in majors, it's, it's a bit different at regular competitions because generally speaking, they're just pretty chill anyway. But at majors, when there's, you know, 15, 20 minutes in between throws and there's chairs and stuff where you set up and everyone's, you know, either freaking out or being pretty chill. I tend to set up my space, go back to my space, uh, in between what I got to do and, and just stay there. If there's, if there's mental rehearsal, then I'll do that. Um, but there's a lot of staying kind of in my own lane and, and being as present as I can 
Yeah, you, you mentioned the almost controlled aggression. That's something that I work a lot with my football guys with because you'll see the very rah-rah guy who, like, if you were to look at that guy before the game, you're like, oh, this dude's going to be, like, the all-star. He's going to be the best player on our team, and it's never that case. It's always the person that's in their, in their own space. They're nice and calm. They look, like, almost like sleeping in the spot, and then when they get on the field, they have that controlled aggression, and they're, they're going to be the best player on the thing. So being able to create – I like you, you talked about creating that environment, like, for yourself, being able to put yourself in that situation and go forward, forward with that. One thing I want to talk about is you talk about when you, you train the hammer, you mentioned this a lot in your social media posts, but it, again, it's the, it's that paradox of the, of like the control with the release and the, the like the freedom through the movement. But it, it's a very like, it, it's almost like football and like dance combined. If, if you watch a sport, like it's something that's very powerful, but very graceful at the same time. Can you talk about how you go about teaching that or like what that is? I mean, uh, it's really hard to teach and I've, I've actually kind of gotten to a point where I'm not, I don't know if I'm necessarily trying to teach it. I understand what it is and I will, and I will kind of speak about it, but it's much more uh, a personal journey for that athlete. But the idea, yeah, is because, because, because aggression is tension and, and speaking from a hammer perspective, if there's tension, there's, there's no speed or at least not as much speed as you ultimately want. And it's again, one of those things like there are, you know, there are a thousand paradoxes in this event where, you know, and it's, and it's really, it's just hard to wrap your head around how, how can I throw far? How can I give my absolute best effort by essentially doing nothing? And that's just, that's a question for the athlete to kind of figure out if they are open and open-minded enough to ask that question, right? Cause you're, you're still, you're always going to have an athlete that's like, oh, shit. I'm just, I'm just going to hit the weight room. I'll be good. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's fine. And, and part of that, it's fine because that's again, that's part of the, the learning journey. Now I, I was probably never as dismissive, but I was absolutely in full belief that if I hit the weight room and get strong enough to a certain degree, I'm going to throw as far as I ever wanted to do. And guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work for me. There are people who do have that mindset and have thrown 80 meters without a doubt. But the idea is like, but you know, should you, is, is that the best option? If you know that the most efficient way is, is another way, why not try it? And, and that's kind of, that's another area that I think ego kind of comes into play because, because that way is a little bit scarier, right? It is easier to, to, to get your training, um, your training block, look at it and put the work in, get the PRs at the end and then think like that's going to translate into, into the implement. And that will work until you're about, you know, a certain age <laughs> and then it doesn't work anymore and then you can get as strong as you damn well want to and, and the implement's just not going to go far and the reason why is because maximum strength is not it that's not that's not what it's about um ultimately and and if if one is going to survive and have like a longer kind of career in this in the sport and especially in hammer throw um it just doesn't work that way i think um it's easiest to do in the shot put but even then you'll, you'll have, you'll have older athletes, right? Um, Reese is probably one of the last ones that threw pretty far, um, up in age when most of the shot guys are less than 30. And then as a, as a coach, cause this is, this is what I, I talk about a lot of times with even my football guys, but talking about as a coach, like I am not here to basically tell you what to do from point A to point B. Like my, my job is to guide that for you. Yes. It's your kind of like how, I'm interested in trying to like 
and like you mentioned, it's individualized, but like, what's kind of your process of guiding that with getting the, the buy-in to like, why should that athlete believe in this? And in, when they're at that moment of, they, they really want to be told like, this is what I have with a lot of my athletes. They really want to be told, this is where you are. This is where we're going to go. Like point A to point B straight plan. This is where it is, but trying to tell them the truth, but getting that buy-in. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it depends. I think, I think at any level, you're going to have that. You're going to have the ones that are, that are really open to it. And you're going to have the ones that are pretty resistant. Um, and I think that's just kind of part of part of the game. Um, but I think that's why, like, I think that's why there's more to it. You know what I mean? Depending on how an athlete, you know, was raised or, or how their nervous system is like and what those experiences were, someone's going to react differently to a situation where there's uncertainty. And I remember I just had this conversation with the wife probably. And like, and, and in some people that feeling of uncertainty like equates to death. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's, it's like a full stop armor up. Uh, no, I can't do that. I don't trust that. Whether or not they are doing it consciously isn't really the point, but it's still happening. Um, and then you'll have people who will hear that and they're just like, yes. Okay. You know, what do I got to do or not do, you know? And I think me personally, I probably kind of rely a little bit, at least, uh, at least earlier, I think I got caught a little bit in saying, well, like, no, just listen. Like, I'm like the third farthest American hammer thrower ever, and I'm the best, or sorry, and I'm the most versatile thrower ever, right? So in the beginning of, like, my coaching days, I kind of got uh, a little bit caught up in that when there would be resistance. Um, and it, it, take, it took, I don't know, maybe a year or two where I was like, okay, well, that's fine, right? Because then... And then that's when the questions start getting asked. Then I start remembering well, that's almost exactly how I was too <laughs> coming up. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the most effective way the, um, to achieve change, not only in mindset, but also in, you know, movement and stuff is for the athlete, excuse me, to come upon it themselves. That's, that's, that's the true change. Like that's the change that, that happens like at the core, you know what I mean? How specifically though, like with hammer, basically like I, I try to, I try to, to guide them into positions with their body that'll, that'll essentially trick the hammer into doing what I know what it needs to do. <laughs> well, in all the events, like I coach all the events here at, at school, but, um, but that part's, that's what's interesting. Right. And so, and having that patience when the kids are trying to work through that sort of thing. Um, and that's fine. And so I, I, you know, it's not lost in me. I think I do have the benefit of having the career that I've had and being able to say, this is, is, um, this is what I would do or what I did or what you should do, whether or not I did it or not. And probably more often than not, someone saying yes, but I don't necessarily want it to be that way. I'm definitely not saying do something because I did it or do something because I'm telling you to do it. It's, it's more like if you are interested in the event and trying to learn, then how can I support you in that? Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's powerful because I talk about this with a, a lot of other coaches as well is you, you can get a certain amount of buy-in by saying you have done this. Like you can get, you're going to get yeah. some kids, and it's a, but it's almost like that forced belief, you know, like almost like dictatorship role of like, Hey, I've done this, like do it my way, this type of thing to where you, like what you were mentioning is almost that next level, like that next tier of buying the next tier of belief and the next tier that you're going to be able to take your athletes to the next level. 
because they actually believe in who you are, you know, and they actually believe in this method and who they are through this method and the journey that has brought them to rather than the, the almost like artificial belief in this dude through he's a four time all American, like Olympian, like 80 meter thrower. Like those are seems artificial for them to believe in that, you know? Yeah. And I, th- I mean, and that, that can, that's dangerous. Like, I mean, I, you know, you probably see it all the time and a, a coach will rest on those accolades and it's like, yeah, this is what got me to this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of kids don't care about that. No one really, I mean, it's cool. You can, we can have a conversation about that. Right. But like in the moment when you're trying to coach a kid, what do they care? <laughs> and, um, and, and I think it's dangerous on another point of like, a lot of times those were just like the freak, like that genetic part of it. Like a lot yeah. of things when it got you to that point, was it actually right. the training method that got you there too? Especially the, I don't want to say lower, but right. Like that happens. I mean, it still happens at the Olympic level, but like less often than yeah. it would happen with a high school basketball coach. You know what I mean? Who's like, I averaged 32 points a game for my high school team. That, I mean, that's great. I'm sure it was pretty cool, but you know what I mean? But like that kind of, I think coach who rests on those kind of lowers are, are happen more often. That's what I'm trying to say. Happen more often than uh, and a, a person who has had Olympic level experience. And that, 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 cause that was one of my main questions for you is how you have made that switch from being the elite level athlete to being the elite level coach and having, cause you, uh, all the, uh, all the hammer throwers that I talked to like Sean Don and these guys, like they all talk about listening to you, which means like these high level throwers are listening to you which means I, I would consider you a high level coach in that con- situation, which means you you've made the jump from high level athlete to high level coach where a lot of high level athletes, they're unable to make that jump. Would you say for yourself that has been an ego thing, like being able to shut off that ego and being open with it? Like how, how has that process been for you? Hmm. Well, first of all, that's really kind. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, yeah, for sure. There's definitely a bit of that. So like, uh, I think, yeah, when I first started kind of reaching out and doing remote coaching and trying to see who else wanted to um, collaborate or train with me or whatever, whether it was in person or remote, there was a little bit more like when I was faced with resistance from an athlete in terms of changing their uh, opinions or thoughts on the throw, I would be like, okay, you know what I mean? If someone's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that or this or that. And like, and I remember thinking like, what do you mean you don't agree with it? Like, what do you know? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) you're at 69 meters and you're telling me like, you don't agree with something. Um, It just didn't really add up. And, and I understand that because again, I live that life as well. Um, But it's, it's one of those, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an understanding that it's a, it's a personal journey. So, in terms of being a coach, I think um, I'm understanding both as a coach and how, uh, how to really get kind of those things across or at least pose the question uh, of athletes is kind of grown as I've kind of grown as myself, uh, you know, as a man and as a dad and as a husband too, for that matter. Um, I think communication uh, is super, super important. Um, but just as important between athlete and coach, like it's probably, it, no, it, it is, it's more important within yourself, like athlete by themselves. So, you know, then the question becomes like, how can you, how can you do that? How can you, how can you help an athlete ask themselves more questions? Uh, I don't know. I think I kind of stumbled into it, but basically, I mean, if I, you know, it happens with, if they, um, 
I ask them questions. <laughs> and, and it's either kind of like movement riddles or which, by the way, is kind of what I call like throwing, like throwing is a movement riddle. Um, because it's, it's been several years since I've gotten away from really cardboard, you know, this is what a throw should look like and look like this and do this and let's drill this so we can put this into the throw. None of that's, that's all, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of garbage because that completely takes away the intuition of the body and its ability to adapt to what's happening during, during a throw, during a movement. And so, so where does that leave you? That leaves you with the implement, what you're trying to do. And, and that's what you coach. And that's what you try to help the athlete do. So in, in that respect, I started calling it a movement riddle. And if you, if the athlete understands that for, for instance, in hammer, if the athlete understands that the goal is to start the system and to continue acceleration as much as possible and to minimize, and of course, to minimize deceleration. Okay, good. Now you understand that. Now, how do you do it? You know what I mean? So I think an athlete understands more that they're trying to minimize deceleration as much as possible through the throw. And that kind of, that kind of guides how not only they think about the event, it, it guides how they ask questions. So that sort of thing applied to all the events is, is kind of how I coach essentially. No, that, I think that's awesome because that that is kind of where we're trying to take the, the field of sports performance for football too because you see the very cardboard setups of doing stuff like a ladder drill or doing stuff like these certain drills where you rep something like a, a footstep drill. And when you when you break down the movement riddle of football, like it's, it's really none of that. It's very free-flowing. It's very open. It's very bending and flowing like that. So it's awesome that you mentioned that yeah. hammer as well. Is It's not like this – a to B, like strict, 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 strict. It's very open flowing and figuring out how it works with your own body. And that's what you see. Like, and when you watch an elite level, like a super elite level athlete do it, that's what they're doing. They're solving problems on the field. They're solving problems in the ring with their own body and what they're able to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you, you're right. Like you see it everywhere in, in all of track and, in, <laughs> and anything where you move your body, the best movers are typically really good. <laughs> and and my, favorite, my favorite part is that they'll be called wrong. Like this, this is my favorite part is like a coach will call uh, a certain movement. I, I actually, with you, like I, I've heard coaches say like uh, your technique was wrong. I was like, well, yeah. is it wrong? Like he was throwing 80 meters. Like that's not wrong. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. It says who? Yeah. Right. Cause like, I'll take, I'll take my coach who essentially innovated how hammer should be thrown <laughs> over someone else who read it in a book saying it's wrong. You know what yeah. I mean? And then also, but that's, you know, speaking of ego, that's a little bit of mine coming up, but like, <laughs> but you know, ultimately like anyone who says it's wrong, if you ask them what they're looking at, whether it's my body or the ball, I guarantee you they were, well, you know, his body's doing this and this. Yeah. But what's my ball doing? And the ball is, is, is moving fast. It's not decelerating that much. It's got a nice orbit and then it goes. And that's, you know, it's not figure skating. <laughs> So, so when, you, when you're trying to, you, you talked about these movement riddles and trying to solve the riddle by tricking the, the, the body or tricking the ball. Like, what is your way, like, what are the constraints you do to lead to that? Is it different sized implements? Is it like certain like setups with the drill? Like, how do you go about tricking that and solving the movement riddle or just put it like tricking them to solve that movement riddle by themselves? Uh, it's kind of, it's all in the moment. So, I mean, yeah, I do that. You know, we'll, we'll have drills and putt throws and, and releases and, um, throwing all different weights but more specific to the movement riddle like that's all that's observation 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And seeing what the ball is doing. Well, okay. Well, that was a massive drop in speed, you know, in between two and three or in the, you know, in shot in the, um, in the transition into the middle. So like, what do we got to do to, to lessen that or, or to, um, you know, to really make that work. And has there been, I'm just interested in maybe there, there isn't like a, and I know there's not a specific answer, but I'm interested in the world of throwing, like the kind of the process of solving in the moment. Cause I feel like the, and just from my, from my experience, the field of track and field and throwing has been very cardboard boxed. It has mm-hmm. been very like, do these drills to get this result, do this weightlifting program to get this result. Like when you say you are doing this in the moment, like what, like how does that process look a little bit? Uh, just watching, watching the implements. Um, if you, if you pay attention to the implements, you can see the path that it takes. You can see the orbit. Um, and so in that, like that's, whereas, whereas a coach looking at, we'll, 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 um, we'll pick on discus. Whereas a coach looking at a discus throw and saying, you know, in the middle, you got to squeeze your knees tighter. Okay. Well, why? You know what I mean? Well, you, you got to get your foot down faster. Okay. Why? Like, what's that? You know what I mean? The, the, the individual cue and, and the things to do to the body while sometimes and this is another thing I talk about it. It just, it depends, it depends on the why. So like, if you're saying it to say it, then, then, you know, that's not, it's not really coaching. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to guide something to make an impact on what the ball is doing, um, like that's where it's at. And, and as I say that, yes, of course, like that's what a coach, that's what any coach is trying to do, but it's, it's different than saying, you know, stick to, you know, our, our half turn wheel drills. Yeah. And (laughs) because even doing those, like it's different. And and, and that's why like it, it should be super dynamic because, you know, you do these drills. Okay. That's great. Well, you get to state championship meet and it's, it's raining and, your kid's not, doesn't have any grip. Well, you got to adapt. You can't just, you know what I mean? Like it's just, you have, you have to change it. And, and to be so specific about how the body moves just doesn't really work. The body's going to feel different on a daily basis. So the feeling has to be the connection and, and the tension between you and the hammer. It can't, the feeling cannot be, the coaching point can't be the body. The body changes. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly, and it's such a, it's such a weird, almost like difficult sport to do it in because it is like, like, it's so easy to coach the body. Like it's so easy to coach that part, but it, it is the connection to the implements and giving, like you mentioned the, the, the why behind it, the global aspect of the sport behind what's actually happening and not just doing what you've been told to do or not just doing a cool drill that you saw on Instagram to try and create that connection with that athlete. What has been like kind of the biggest eye opener for you recently in your training? Cause this is something that I'm interested in. It is you are still like a high level athlete. Like you are competing and or trying to with the, the virus going on right now, but yeah, you know, like we'll see. <laughs> what has been the biggest eye opener through coaching that has helped you athletically, like personally basics and finding, and because, uh, because I, I, because I do approach it by observation, right? So that's really helped me kind of expand not only how I speak about the event, but also knowing that I have to be <clears throat> aware and in the moment. So, you know what I mean? Because like being, you know, how old am I? I'm, I'm 39 this year, right? And so in a large chunk of that time spent throwing, I was probably saying, fairly similar things in my head. I was hearing very similar things with Dr. B. I heard similar things with Judd. 
Um, so being able to kind of essentially break that mold of what I was told and not just regurgitating those points, those words essentially to my athletes and having to develop essentially my own language. But I, I kind of use that term loosely because I don't, because like, as you know, as we talk about this, I don't want it to be something that's um, stiff and, you know, and rigid and like, and, and we kind of talk, <laughs> my coworkers and I, like we kind of, We'll make fun of like so like the whole the way started right with, with the w and my in my accented e and and it's it's kind of a play on it right because like even though i say the way like i'm not i'm not saying do again i'm not trying to say do what i do i think the way if i'm to speak personally to myself my way is there is there is no way or there are always <laughs> like, so whatever it is that the the athlete will do or can do like I think that they should and this is that's something I'm interested in is you talked about not just like almost being stuck in that uh the the, the thought process and the mm. the continual like you're surrounding yourself with people that are thinking what you think so then like you you always sound right because it's just a bunch of people that think what you think like that group yeah reality. yeah yeah what is the uh, echo chamber yeah like yeah dangerous. yeah what has been your kind of like how have you broken out of that yourself is it like reading stuff that you normally want to read trying to grab from other things that you want to read like finding counter arguments like how do you how do you keep your way the way you know so you, you're not stuck in that <clears throat> box because i think a lot of people- um yeah again it, it, it'll, it'll go back to questions and understanding that a lot of I think there's a lot that kind of comes into our field of, of relative experience that we just don't question because we learned it at a time when we were impressionable. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And, and that extends to, of course, like childhood, but also, you know, the early years of learning a new skill or a new event. And so, and I think that's why it's so hard to, to break free of those things and why it's hard to change anything and why it's hard to go from one system to another you know, similar to what I do going between Judd or even, you know, insert North American system to Dr. B, a more Eurocentric one. Those, those things are hard, but I think understanding that, and it's not to say that you don't want to assume that something's wrong or something is right, but understand that like, hmm, maybe, maybe I should think for myself, essentially. Like that's, that's probably the thing to, to take from that. Like think for yourself, like, collect, you know, the data or whatever and, and see, see what's up. And then from there, make your decision an informed decision, I guess. Yeah. That, that's been the kind of the stoic mindset that I've tried to take into my coaching and I have to keep, keep reemphasizing it to myself, but everybody yeah. at some point is your master, you know, in some yeah, regard, yeah. they know something you don't know. They're better at something than you are. Like you can learn from every single person you come in contact with. Yeah. And I think like taking that further, like, you know, there's that whole like mirror theory and everyone's a reflection of you on one hand and on the other hand anything that well the theory i guess is anything that bothers you about someone else is more about yourself right so <laughs> so i've been spending so much time in the last year or so or whatever since i kind of came across like that idea and i'll feel like an annoyance or something or, or just a straight up frustration or anger about something or someone right and be like yeah what am i doing or what am i thinking or where is that inside to take over right because then there's that idea like you know if if, if someone is eliciting uh a reaction out of you they are your master and you know damn it like they know what a master over me right you know so um i think there's a bit of that uh in play as well 
No, we talked about that with Dr. Tommy John last week on the podcast about the first step is having that awareness because he, he mentioned a lot of people go around just having like this constant anger, this constant anxiety, something just there. And they, they're not even putting that piece together like that is there, like that emotion is there. So he's like, the first step yeah. is awareness, like, ooh, like, why am I feeling that? What is that feeling? Yeah. And then he said, the second step, just like you just mentioned, is that feeling is something inside that you control. Like, why are you letting that person elicit that feeling? Like, why are you letting that situation bring that out of you? Right. So the first step, yeah, is, is essentially being, you know, asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and he, that, well, that, <laughs> he mentioned the same exact thing. He's like, no, didn't Yeah. Yeah. He was like, uh, everybody is, uh, Everybody says they're alive, but sleeping isn't alive, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Let's look, look him up. All right, we can transition into a rapid fire round here. And these are just, you can answer however you want to answer. They're just quicker questions on my part. I won't dive in as deep onto you. But the first one is, and this is one of my favorite ones for elite level performers, but what, is, what are you, some of your favorite books or just book that has really got that mindset into you? Uh, so in the last few years, I've actually have been reading a lot more, but I've got a bad habit of like not finishing one. (laughs) I'll, uh, I typically have two or three going at once, but anyway, so ones that I have finished, I would say like in the last year are, uh, meditations, Marcus Aurelius. There's another stoic one too, probably, uh, Ryan Holiday's stoic book. And then, ah, and then his audio plugs, both obstacles away and egos is in an ear, I think. Way of the Superior Man, um, The Alchemist is, is, a, is a big one after the wife telling me to read that book for probably 10, 15 years. And I was just like, yeah, it sounds really good and just never just never took the time to do it. <laughs> and so and then I read it, I'm like, man, this book's amazing. She's like, don't tell me about it, man. Like, I've been telling you to read this thing for years. Another one, Prometheus Rising. I don't know if I mentioned that one. Um, but yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm really into... To, uh, books lately and just reading more things and articles and audiobooks and stuff it's i'm probably never going to stop doing that <laughs> yeah that, that's my fa- that's one of my favorite questions for for coaches is to show some of the younger coaches and coaches again stuck in that group think that a lot of these high level performers and coaches are drawing all like none, none of the books you mentioned were like super training or anything to do with like bonder truck method you know it's all about right the whole general aspect of life like if, if you have that mindset piece and you have the life piece set in order through these books and you're able to draw stuff from that then the rest of it is going to be able to take care of itself the methods and the what yeah yeah i was yeah i was gonna add that too like i mean it just it makes everything else more effective um it just does <laughs> yeah, it's almost like building that foundational pyramid yeah. of everything else that you want to do in life yeah, right. Next question. What is, uh, who's a guest that you think we should have on? This has kind of been how, so this is how you, you recommended through one of our guests and talking about kind of the, the, the mindset piece that you think listeners can get a lot out of, somebody that can bring a lot of light to people. Someone from a mindset perspective? A- any mindset, physical, like just training, anything that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? Man, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many. Um, well, the wife, I'll start with the wife. You should have her on. Okay. <laughs> Crystal Smith, she's, yeah, man, she's, you know, she's wicked. And also former athlete, former Canadian record holder. Um, I shouldn't say former athlete, but she's former Canadian record holder. Uh, some other people that come to mind, like like uh, Rich Ohm. We, Dr. Rich Ohm, we, we trained with him for a while. He's a pretty uh, good, what's he do? He's a chiropractor, I think. But he's, he's like developed some really nice like educational resources, that kind of thing. And he understands you know, throwing and, and movement really well. I think he's done some good things there. What's kind of, what's kind of next for you? Maybe it, maybe it's the one year goal. Maybe it's the five year goal. And I get, it's kind of a little crazy right now with the virus going on, but what's kind of that <laughs> next big thing that you're striving for? Uh, good question. 
I will always remain connected to throwing in some capacity. Uh, if, if I'm really being honest, though, I don't necessarily want to coach because I have to. Um, I don't really want it to be my main source of income. Uh, and partly because as I speak about the event and like the mindset of it, I really believe that the, that mindset is, is for everyone, not just for throwers or not just for track and field athletes. So if anything, like I, like I'm, I would really like kind of in the process, I guess, but um, trying to, to break that that ceiling or window or whatever to, to reach a broader audience about um, some of the things that I do think and want to say. And then also maybe more like sports kind of business or administration. Like I, I can definitely see myself in that sort of leadership role that has an impact on the sport itself and not so specific to throwing. But, you know, at the same time, but still, you know, being able to have my hands or some kind of context, you know what I mean? Say I have like two or three kids or athletes or something that I mentor or something like that. That would be fantastic. And then I would have, you know, my gig. <laughs> yeah. Just to where you're not feeling burnt out and like you have to go coach, but almost like you get to and get to give it up on your, your all. Yeah. 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 All right. Next question. And this is one of my favorite ones for, for coaches is what, when this is all over, when throwing career is over, coaching career is over, whatever's after that coaching career is over. Like, what do you want your legacy to be with this? Like, what do you want them to say? This is what Kidway did for us. I just, I, I'd like people to think and, and, and ask some questions. Yeah. Like um, I think things were done a particular way for a really long time. I really believe like there's more potential out there, but to, to really reach that, like people got to stop doing things the way that they've always been done. I'll use uh, Tom Walsh and his coach, uh, Dale Stevenson, as an example. They kind of, they are where they are now by kind of exactly that. You know what I mean? Like they knew that the raw horsepower, not to say that Tom isn't strong, obviously he is, but like the raw horsepower that is typically talked about in, in, in the event of shot put isn't there to the level that it is as, as his, you know, his fellow competitors. They went about it a different way. And now Tom is one of the best ever. Um, those are the kind, and, and, and they got to that point by again, asking questions <laughs> and, and solving for riddles and working backwards. And, and, it, and again, and it took time as we talked about earlier, it's going to take some years to do that, but it also takes faith and that takes um, patience and persistence and not getting down on yourselves. And, but you know, at the end of that, it's uh, you know, then you start throwing 2290 <laughs> and, and farther. So my legacy, yeah, I would, I would, I would like that. I would just like people to think and then kind of reach those milestones. I've, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, but force people to break out of that that box. And I, I think yeah, that's yeah. I mean, of... boxes are boxes are they're boxes. They're they're little. They're tiny. Um, whether I knew it or not at the time, that's what I did when I when I decided to train with Doctor B as it was. You know, to that point, I was ranked either first or second in the U.S. for for five years straight and that was cool and I was and I enjoyed it until I didn't <laughs> and then I realized that like that that box of being the best in the U.S. wasn't cutting it that's not what I was about that's not what I wanted to do uh, I wanted to be the best in the world and so and that was the and the way to do that was to work with someone who has that experience someone who's who's done that and coached that you know what I mean and that didn't exist in the U.S. outside of Stewart at the time and that was a serious consideration too but um um, but ultimately yeah, I went with Dr. B and, and that was why, like I, I, it just hit me. I was like, I'm not trying to be the best in the U S at a time when the U S isn't really that good. Uh, I'm trying to be the best in the world. And that's what sparks that move. So I think boxes, you just need to throw those things out. <laughs> 
again, Dr. Tommy John, he, uh, his podcast drops on Monday, but his whole thing, he talks about leveling up. He's like, when you, when you reach that next level, you, you're at that level for a little bit and you're like, oh shit, like I got to level up again. And yeah. that's what it was, is like trying to level yeah. up, which is awesome. Yeah. I did the same thing in the weight throw. I threw 80 feet, whatever year that was. But prior to that, it hadn't been done in like 11 years by anyone. Uh, sorry, anyone in the U.S. Libor at the time, he, he was throwing really well. And, and basically a couple of uh, international guys had thrown 80. But an American hadn't, when I threw 80, 80 feet in the weight, no American had done it in like 11 years. And then, you know, within the year, we've, we've got a few other people, right? And so I feel like personally, that was, that was a ceiling that I was like, no, nah, I can do this. It's not a problem. There was the 80 foot one, then there was 25 meters when I was throwing 80 feet. And it was like, that looked like garbage. <laughs> and, and, and like, and I know I can do it. So I just did it. And then there was, and then there was the 80 meters thing too. I'm throwing what I'm throwing, you know, 75, 76 meters, knowing that there's more, I'm just going to go do it. The only thing that I didn't get though was the American records. And the last question of our, of our podcast is kind of your billboard message for somebody that's in a valley. So maybe, maybe they're struggling with their throws, maybe they're struggling in life, but your billboard message to make them keep pushing on and tell them there's something, there's that next level. Oh man. Wait. So like how, like, like a quasi elevator pitch? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it would have to do with uh, mindset or confidence or trying to achieve a goal. You know what I mean? Or find finding like seeking truth that kind of thing maybe it would just be a billboard with a bunch of words on it (laughs) (laughs) what do they call yeah they have the words branched off everywhere yeah yeah just you know call now (laughs) and then people are calling because they're like what the hell was that i don't know and And they get suckered in oh and then you got them asking the questions that you want them asking yeah right (laughs) (laughs) well coach this was awesome thank you for being on the podcast yeah thanks for having me this is this was great um yeah i'm gonna save this one this is nice Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.